0: Pith and Piety Welcome to Pith and Piety Welcome to Pith and Piety, Greater Lafayette's source for open, honest, ecumenical conversation, conversation. Thank you <laughs> uh, This is episode something, and I'm Ryan Trager, I am a local United Methodist pastor To my right is Matthew Pally, Roman Catholic, architecture, catechesis
1: Matt Wallace, devoted member of Grace Methodist Church.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) our special guest, very special guest today, is the Reverend Lori Blinn Gibson. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. What happened to identifying as Anglican? That is just...
0: (laughs) Matt changes his introduction
3: at the beginning of every single episode. He was making fun of me for changing it every time. We just witnessed a big moment.
0: A big moment. I'm feeling very,
2: very honored here. So
0: for you listeners playing along at home... Reverend, Reverend Lori Blynn Gibson is the senior pastor at Grace United Methodist Church, which makes her my boss. Bum, so. bum, bum, Lori, welcome.
2: Haven't you, anyone told, hasn't anyone told you that, like, you have 200 bosses?
0: That's probably true. Yeah. Yeah, well, but.
2: I'm one big boss, Jesus. But anyway.
0: <laughs> but you're the one that could immediately fire me? They could yeah. all, like, go to a committee to get me You fired. gotta wait until yeah. you die That's before true. Jesus fires you. Yeah, Lori, why don't you start by telling us about yourself, where you're from, where you went to school, your call to ministry, any of it.
2: Any of it. I'm from a farm outside Star City, Indiana. That's where I'm from. Um, And I went to a small town high school, Winnemack, and graduated with a bachelor's degree in music education from Indiana State. So I taught music for four years to... um, Grateful, semi-grateful, and completely ungrateful middle schoolers. <laughs> and then I went to seminary at Duke, the Divinity School at Duke University. And now I'm back in Indiana. I've served several churches here. So,
3: Growing up on a farm, small town, small high school, how do you think that developed your spirituality? Um, having been growing up on a farm myself, I, I'm curious your thoughts on on that small town life.
2: Oh, well... I think the idea of community was not foreign to me because it was community. It wasn't something I thought about or questioned. It's one of the things I'm very grateful for is I never expected the community of faith or any other community to be perfect um, or to have everything all figured out um, because I already knew from the time I grew up there were characters, including me, um, as part of that community. So I didn't have any... What would you say? Romantic notions of some utopian. The church would be some sort of utopia. There were all we were all kind of a mess, and um, I didn't have any specific sense that you had to wait until you ha- knew what your spiritual gifts were, or you had some sort of expertise. You just jumped in and did what needed to be done. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. But um, <laughs> but so I think that shaped that understanding of um, community, certainly. And also, it was not ecumenical or uh, in the sense that we did a lot with people of the other faiths. And in Star City, there were two churches. In Winnemac there were several. Um, half my friends were Roman Catholic because Pulaski had a Roman Catholic church, and it was five miles away. And so um, I didn't ever have any sense that we weren't all sort of headed the same place. But on the other side. I had never met anybody who was Jewish, never even heard of Islam or, or, um, maybe I heard of Hinduism maybe, but I certainly didn't know anyone. So I didn't meet someone who said, I've never been in a church in my life until I went to college.
3: And then you went to Duke divinity school or Duke. I went
2: to Indiana state and then Duke. Yes. What was,
3: what was the calling? What called you to your vocation? It was middle schoolers, uh, wasn't
2: it? It was middle schoolers. I had to leave the middle schoolers. I f- sensed a call to pastoral ministry when I was a nine, was about nineteen, and my sick and twisted understanding of God at that time was that oh, I must be being called to the most horrific, hard thing that I never want to do in my life because that's how God works, right? He only calls you to stuff that's really hard and horrific, so. Um, the only two things I could think of that were that horrific were going to Africa to be a missionary, and being a pastor. I don't know where that came from. No idea. But I decide, But I thought those would be the two worst jobs on earth that God could call me to do. And so I, uh, but being a dutiful person, I started to explore the ideas with my um, pastor. And honestly, the worst of the two was to be here as a pastor, because then everyone would know you if you screwed up. In Africa, who would know? So um, so exploring that made me, uh, in the discernment of that process, I thought two things. One, I didn't want to leave my friends in the music school. It was quite a community. and And secondly, I wasn't sure if it was a call to ministry or terror of teaching seventh graders and i had to face the middle schoolers so i did and completely forgot about a call to ministry and was teaching and after and i also got a job as a choir director in the church And the organist was a Ph.D. student in theology and worship at Notre Dame University who said to me, have you ever thought about being a music minister? And I went, what? You can make money at this? And so I took a class at a Mennonite seminary, which was 20 minutes away from my house. And in the process of wrestling with infant baptism for a paper, uh, I just Realized that I didn't and music is wonderful I love music to this day but that I really wanted to be sure no kid grew up in the church not knowing that their baptism was meaningful that it had that it was a sacrament that it mattered and so I really got into pastoral ministry to communicate the sacraments um I had a really great experience of communion at that Mennonite sem- seminary and and then preaching sort of came later and was related to the experience I got keeping seventh graders interested in music for 90 minutes at
0: a time so since I've known you the longest I'm going to try to lay as low as possible but a question that I've never asked you have you ever thought what your life would be like if you stayed in teaching music and what that would look like
2: have I ever occasionally I consider what might happen if I left the ministry because sometimes it's difficult and I don't want to do it anymore. But then I think, well, what skills do I have? Uh, none. Um, I no. I I could go back to teaching music. Uh, what my life would have been like? I don't know because that was a big risk for me to go to seminary, and I didn't really think about being female or should women be pastors or it just did not occur to me. But I think I wouldn't I don't know how I could have developed as a human being if I had stayed put because that risk of following a call that makes no sense that you really believe God wants you to do it but you can't figure out how it's going to work I mean I, God would have had to call me in some other way I and I trust that God would um I think you can say no a lot and God still finds ways to get you so in in, in a good
0: way
3: You mentioned uh, you're a woman and a pastor. I am. (laughs) For those listeners at home. It's
0: actually our first
3: female clergy person. That is true. is. Second female guest. Yeah. Um, Wow. Was there any tensions that you experienced externally um, from people, say, at Duke or from back home uh, when you were exploring becoming a minister, or did you always have a strong support system around you? To become a minister, because being the Catholic in the room, we are only male priests. So I would imagine if anybody from our denomination was like, I'm going to go become a minister, there would be tension there. Did you experience any tension?
2: Um, Not initially, the people around my family was not surprised. My grandma always thought I would make a good pastor's wife. <laughs> <laughs> and what she did, I always wanted a pastor's wife, you know, the one who would like be the hostess and all that. But um, I didn't externally until, well, that's not true. I had one friend in college who was Church of Christ, the denomination where they Uh, don't allow musical instruments in the sanctuary and where they barely read the Old Testament. And he not only questioned my baptism, but then when I'm starting to talk about called the ministry, he's like, you can't do that. There's no way you can do that. And he wasn't unkind about it. He just thought it was ridiculous. Um, And I had the advantage of having my brother, who was a year younger than I, on his baptismal certificate, the pastor was a woman she that's a long methodist story i won't go into but i never knew her i didn't know about my parents never talked about it but i knew it was possible so i no i didn't that one person questioned it I, of course going into some going into pastoral ministry there's lots of questions mm-hmm. lots of interviews lots of papers you have to answer um questions in and i had those kind of pushbacks the first time i really was aware of it was the church that I came out of seminary to serve. And I followed a pastor whose wife had also been to seminary and who preached occasionally. And the church thought she was a better preacher than he was, which (laughs) set me up great. I mean, like they had never had a woman pastor, but they had experienced that woman, leading, giving a message that they resonated with. And later, after I'd been there a couple years, one of the older ladies said, well, when we saw you walk in the door, we just didn't think you'd be very much. We weren't looking to, we didn't have a whole lot of hope. Um, But now that we know you, we think it's going to be okay. So that was the first time I realized that anybody was even like wrestling with it. I just felt like I should do my job. I didn't get involved in feminist things in um, seminary, I could have, and I had respect for the people who did, but I just, the way I did it was like, I didn't call me. I this wasn't my idea, so I'm just going to do my job, and at whatever point that becomes a problem, then I'll deal with it, I guess, so.
1: So how did you end up specifically a Methodist? Is it just because that was a church you grew up in, or?
2: I, I did grow up in that church. I explored different churches in um, college from disciples of Christ which was very left-leaning but did baptize adults and also had communion every week and I worshipped at a holiness church a little country holiness church that still had outhouses and um, the women never cut their hair and they wore long sleeves and stuff like that um, so I exper- experimented with different Christian things in college I had a really good friend who was Jewish and I looked into that um, I think what it what it was for me was the confirmation for me that I was on the right path was I didn't really think Methodists believed anything. <laughs> I, you could have, I mean, I thought like we're so middle of the road. We don't really believe whatever you believe is fine with us. I couldn't say my Catholic friends could say, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus, that communion is really Jesus's body and blood? I'm like, ah. I don't know. Do we believe that? I don't know. <laughs> it's not that I didn't go through confirmation. I did, but it, I didn't have a sense of this is who we are. Um, until I actually I went to seminary at Duke, not sure that I would be United Methodist, um, and took the class that you have to take on United Methodist theology. And the whole time I kept having the reaction of, doesn't everyone think this way? <laughs> doesn't everybody believe this? Oh, and realizing, oh, no, this is who we are. And as I explored who we are, of course, I was raised that way. So it's, sure, why not? Maybe that's why. But the older I got, the more I thought about it, the more I really embraced the idea that we are kind of both and and that we are Catholic, even though we're not Roman, and that we are evangelical, because we do believe um, a personal connection with Christ is important, and and so that both andness of it, it uh, is what drew me to it. I, although I couldn't have entirely articulated it at the time, uh, and now I just you know now the older I get, I'm old now, you know, and I'm old, and I look around and I think I find it. I find this path in. And in, in Franciscan theology, I find this path in, in some Ignatian self-examination. I find it in Anglican. I mean, John Wesley didn't set out to not be Anglican. He was Anglican till he died. So I find, I know, so I find that, that path in a lot of different places. And so it's pretty, it's, to me, that's the beauty of it is I, I love that part of ecu- ecumenism. Whether it's a movement or not, I don't care.
0: I think I've found in the last several years as I've worked with people who have deconstructed what faith they were handed as a kid that I actually didn't have to deconstruct that much because I was raised in a Methodist Mm -hmm. church and now I'm working in a Methodist church and it just, like you said, everybody doesn't just already believe that. My first experience not realizing that some people didn't think that women could be pastors was in college when I was dabbling in like hardcore evangelical churches where I had friends say, women can't be pastors. I was like, what do you? that's What they do, they're like, that's like a <laughs> I had, you have pa- you so had a female pastor, I have too. I had more though. female pastors in my yeah. life than I have ever had male pastors. Period. I mean, that's just the church that I attended as a kid growing up was served more by females than it was by men. And so, to me, I had never processed the idea that that actually wasn't just a job that like women did a lot of because in my worldview, it just was so. That was jarring to me in in realizing that there are people out there that just don't believe still that women can be pastors. So as we are a group of people trying to have conversation about ecumenicism in town, have you run up against or what does it look like for you to work um, ecumenically with other pastors that might not acknowledge your pastoral ministry because of your sex?
2: Yeah, you could fight it. It's funny. I've never really envied I've never really envied the position or being a female. I never wanted that, you know. If I, I, the people I envied my whole adult life have been the women who get to stay home and raise their kids. Mm-hmm. So, how, if you don't get to have a job, accept that, and you can focus. Like you can really focus on raising great kids. That's the only really pull that I've known. I don't. I don't have a problem with. I mean. Uh, Yes, there is a limit. I can't work with some people because they won't work with me. Mm -hmm. And I have one really strong memory when I was the solo pastor at um, a church north of here where I participated in a county fair ecumenical service. And the Lutheran Missouri Synod pastor was not allowed by whoever his denominational authority was. He could not be on the stage at that fair if I was on the stage Speaking, but if I played piano, it was okay, and that ticked me off just enough that I said, "I'm." And he and I and I he, he and I had a really great discussion about it. And he said, "Look, this isn't me. This is my denominational authority, and I'm not willing to cause chaos in my church because of this." And and basically, uh, I wasn't willing to say it's okay if I play piano. Um, so I, I we ended up being the ushers together. And it worked out, and I don't care. I mean, if God wants to fight that battle, he can send people to fight it. I don't think that's me, um, because I'm just not that way. My personality is more to, okay, you don't want me? That's fine. I'll go do something else, and I'll let Bonnie Shove, one of my mentors, be the one that fights the battle, I guess. Because I just never felt called to argue with people about it. I mean, what is it going to do? I'm not going to convince them. So... I do my job. And if that doesn't convince you.
0: What would you though say to. <clears throat> so we've often joked that what we thought Lafayette needed most was to hear the opinion of three straight white men. Uh, <laughs> which is obviously Yeah, well that's, what we are. that's a pretty historical but, way of doing theology. Yeah, <laughs> sure it is. But uh, in, in the people that I listen to when you deal with racism and sexism sure. and all sorts of isms. I think that the responsibility for those of us that are straight white men willing to listen to the voices of people that maybe don't have the same privileges that we do, how would you encourage us then to be a voice for people that are, I guess, fighting those battles just by existing?
2: Yeah, that's really a challenge. I mean, I, I don't know if I can be the one that speaks to that, Ryan, because I don't think of myself as not being privileged. I think it is a privilege to be a female who serves in this way. So while you may have, as white males, some privileges I don't, I don't feel like I'm a victim in all of that, you can do it. You're doing it. I'm here, right? Of course, I should have been the first person on your podcast because I'm your boss. <laughs> I am your boss after all. I'm not your boss. But well, these the DS the first is your guests. boss. The bishop is your boss. But, I, you know, I don't know because I don't spend a lot of time thinking about There are so many people who have so far less power and authority than I have that I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. I think you should think about it, and you can figure it out. And if you need to advocate or just shut up and get out of the way, I think that's your call to make, not mine.
1: You know, one of the arguments I had with another student in seminary, and I didn't have a lot of... Arguments arguments, but we had one where we were talking about women doing theology Mm -hmm. And there were not tons of women theology majors, but there were some and they were all pretty bright but um, One of the conversations we had was I was disagreeing with this other guy because he was saying I think that Feminist theology and theology done by women is extremely important because of their perspective I said I agree, but the goal is an objective study where we are doing theology in other words, you're contribu- there's no such thing as women's chemistry. <laughs> like Women contribute to chemistry, and if they've been you know, barred from it institutionally, we need to rectify that. But the goal is this objective thing that we're working on together that doesn't really take account of exactly who's doing it. That should be a non-issue if we're trying to accomplish something objective.
2: Can that happen?
1: I don't know. Can objectivity
2: <laughs> actually happen? I mean, we all bring something to the table, right? Yeah, we all bring our biases that's absolutely and true and we all bring our formation and I was so, saying
1: what women bring from that unique perspective is something that should be true regardless of whether they're women in other words uh, I, I want that to be something that you enlighten the rest of us with not that something is like the sole preserve of women's theology mm-hmm. like as if there was like a white men's theology that women were barred from, or something. Well, I think ah, I, I see what you're
3: I saying. Well, there from,
0: is.
2: <laughs> they called that theology for a long time. That was theology. I think it's called this
0: is my father's world, not this is my mother or my father's world. Doesn't matter. You you decide.
2: Mother father's world. Mother, I I,
0: father. I can't speak to feminist theology, and I can't really. But uh,
3: having somewhat listened to my wife, who studies feminist uh, pedagogy and things of that nature, uh, I would imagine that feminist theology and feminist studies is uh, studying in a way that uh, that explores how that equality can be achieved in a critical nature. So in, I don't know about theology, but I would imagine it's what language has been used in the past in theology and what, uh, what messages have been used in structures that we can look at critically to understand the inequality in that. Hopefully my wife is nodding right now and not shaking her head in shame.
2: Hopefully. <laughs> I don't know, I'm not, like I said, I, I always struggled with it because the feminist, the, the feminist people that I talked to, even though they were women, were still coming at theology from somewhat of a top-down thing. They wanted the same authority that the men had always had. And it's just like when I took a class in women's history at ISU. Like I ended up writing about uh, farm women, and you would not have in any way said. I mean, people would have said they were oppressed or said that they didn't have power, they didn't have the vote when I was writing in in the thing I was writing about them. They, I didn't want to diminish their contribution or their place by saying um, they did have power and they they didn't have authority because they weren't authorized by an higher something or other but they they were incredibly strong powerful smart women and they were my role models like those were my women role models not an academic woman so it's hard for me to get my head around that and when and the feminist theology that i've read recently is um, sometimes it goes places I'm just not willing to go. I'm not willing to, I, I, it doesn't bother me that the Bible is a patriarchal document. It's gotta be a something. I mean, something, it's flawed, okay, it's flawed. I can see the patriarchy in it without having to dismiss it. I can see the patriarchy in, a, in the Catholic Church without having to dismiss it. God works through flawed systems all the time. Otherwise, God wouldn't work amongst us at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I don't know it's hard for me that's just not the way I think and I'm not an academic really I did go to Duke but uh, it's just not how I think I don't remember what somebody said I don't remember quotes I read Julian of Norwich and I I liked her you know and I said she's a woman so you know sojourner truth ain't I a woman I mean we're, we're we're women and we do what we do and The system is rigged against us in some ways, but in other ways, I've watched my husband try to become an academic and not get positions because he wasn't a woman. And I don't think that's better. Hmm. I I mean, it's not better, but individualism isn't better either. So so I don't know how we Mm -hmm. get around that we're going to somehow somebody's going to get the short end of the stick, no matter what we do. God have mercy on our souls. Mm-hmm.
3: That's beautiful. Um, you mentioned that that wasn't necessarily your your thing, that the academics wasn't necessarily, your, you mm-hmm. don't consider yourself that. What is your call? What's your thing? What's, what is it that, that you do that really gives you the passion?
2: That's a really great question.
0: Being, Being my boss. Being Ryan's <laughs> boss.
2: Well, actually, mentoring people has become come, a passion of mine. I, right now, I think I'm becoming, I'm passionate about taking care of the community and the place and the people that you live among. I, I would say local. If I had to pick a word, it'd be local. And I don't mean it in some kind of you know, provincial way that we shouldn't know what's going on in the rest of the world. But um, there's this old evangelical hymn, Bright in the Corner Where You Are. And that's, I think, my passion is here in this community to to tend the land and to tend the people and to um, shine the light and and to make this community that I'm in right now a better place um, I'm better places like to help people in this community engage with each other and talk with each other right now I'm focusing on addiction because that's a need in our community that's a, a problem it's a problem I think it's a symptom rather than a disease but that's a whole separate podcast um but that's also connected to to the loss of possibility in smaller towns in in this part of the world it's connected to the rampant individualism in our society it's connected to uh the weird idea we got from somewhere that we should all be happy all the time and all feel good all the time and the and the loss we have of 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 Getting, realizing that pleasure often comes from hard things, meaningful work, going through a difficult time, and the only way to get to that is through the hard thing. So I don't know. That doesn't really answer your question. I'm still kind of working on what my passion is, except that the local part would be a passion. Yeah.
3: No, that answered it amazingly well. What are some great? What are some programs that you work with in the community when it comes to addiction?
2: Oh, there's a lot going on that I, I'm just now learning about. Um, I've been involved in this for a year now, only a year, praying about it for probably three years. Um, our church has um, become a chapter of, or started a chapter of a Better Life, Brianna's Hope, which is a. Um, Participant-driven, compassion-filled, faith-based support—that's the quote. But um, the goal of of which is to help people get to rehab who don't have the funds for it, and to also support the people as people and not as addicts or whatever um, names other people get give them. So that's something that I'm really involved with getting going right now. And I've met the most incredible people who struggle with addiction or alcoholism of some kind and their family members who should all be canonized by any church body that will canonize people. Um, they are amazing people. So that's been something that's going on. There's another, um, there's, there's groups within the church or within the community, the surf center, there's NA groups and AA groups and there's, um, uh, a group that I'm spacing their name of right now that, um, works one-on-one with women who are coming out of jail, some of whom have addiction issues. Uh, there's celebrate recovery. That's, um, some sort of a ministry that kind of is kind of step-based, like 12 step groups, such as NA or AA, but, um, but they uh, have a different way of looking, a more Jesus-based way of looking at it. But I'd have to include probation officers and judges and, and lawyers and police officers. And it's not, a, and the health department who are trying to get a syringe exchange program going in the hospitals and in Mental Health America and, and uh, NAMI because it's, it's, a, it's not a one-size-fits-all um, problem and it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution so we just want to see people as people that's what our little niche is and we feed people we feed people grace feeds people (laughs) a lot lot.
3: from all the things that you've mentioned from uh, mentoring from working in your small local community from dealing with addictions it's it really rings true to me from the standpoint of this something pope francis has been speaking about is Mm -hmm. this idea of accompaniment it yes. Sounds like you're I love somebody pope who Francis. loves to accompany people.
2: I do, and I love Pope Francis. He's like great. he's like the Methodist. <laughs> 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 um, he's
3: Jesuit originally.
0: I know so he, he is Jesuit. He thinks too. like a
2: Franciscan. He is a Jesuit, and what else? He
0: Pally's well on his way. To he like a if he
2: you know if there is a pope that could bring us back to one body, in that he yeah. would be it. Although I know some Orthodox people who would vehemently disagree. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, accompaniment accompanying people and, and I think probably more so, Matt, accompanying people so they accompany people. Because mm-hmm. I realized this week I got the thrill of I'm gonna my other I'm a fangirl for Wendell Berry. And and so I got to meet Wendell Berry this week with a group from our church. It wasn't just meeting him, which was you know, that
3: was great. Describe who Wendell Berry Wendell is Wendell
2: Berry is a farmer poet, essayist. He's very involved in appropriate land use and, um, sustainable farming economies. I would say, I don't know how he would say it, but he lives in Kentucky, um, farms with horses, writes poetry. He's just amazing. Um, he's in his eighties and we got to meet with him, but what was great wasn't meeting with him. It was watching all these other people meet him and talk with him and seeing the dream of one of the women who was involved in that be realized. That's the accompaniment that just makes me so excited. I love more than, more than anything. I love watching Ryan shine. I love watching you guys shine. I love watching somebody else like become what God created them to be. And wow, that's great. No matter what, you know, that's, that's what I would do for nothing. You don't have to pay me to do that. So I love it. I love watching Matt. Uh, teaches at a class and I love the fact that Matt Wallace got my husband to go to a class at Grace and not only go to it but talk about it afterward that talks about it he does but you know what that's like you did that and I and that that's to me that's glorious that's just glorious I just it's exciting to me to see other people shine it is and and to find and to see people discover you know to discover Creation all around us to discover God all around us within us among us and all of that That's just oh wait, that was God. That's that's cool.
3: It's a, it really is beautiful It made me think of this quote from st. Teresa of Calcutta who when asked What can I do to help the world be a better place? And she said go home and love your family everything that you're talking about is going yeah. back to yeah, Focus on the small things that you can, yeah, the people small. that you can, and then it'll just be multiplication of loaves. Just exactly.
2: Small. That's the thing. Small. And and we've just left a season, I think, of our national life and our denominational life. Where we're getting bigger, getting bigger. That's the thing. Like, mega, 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 mega. And, you know, mm, there's some things you can't learn mega. You have to learn small. And, and what does it mean? Love your neighbor. If it's just an idea, if you don't actually, like, get, get along with your cranky neighbor, so, or, not that I have a cranky neighbor, neighbors, if you're listening, <laughs> they are awesome, I have great neighbors.
0: Well, I was just going to say, I think it was Tierra of Masu who said, uh <laughs> makes perfect.
2: You're always quoting Tierra of Masu. I have been sitting on that
0: one for weeks. That's the one that I refuse to tell you guys. Before uh, it is. Tierra of Masu. I did. I, yeah, I guess I did.
2: I could quote Wendell Berry. I can't quote Wendell Berry. I could. Wendell I could, of Berry. Wendell of Berry. <laughs> um, uh, I had one I, question.
1: I, if you, mm-hmm. So... One of the unique things that you don't always get to ask your pastor at your own church is, like, what would you say is the biggest fundamental disconnect between people that are in the church and people that are running it in terms of, like, oh. what is your perspective? What's the biggest difference in your perspective of how Grace Methodist operates compared to how people perceive it, apparently, in the church?
2: Okay, let me clarify. the the, the How the hierarchy perceives it or how the average community person perceives it? I guess I it? mean,
1: like... Wh- what would you say is the biggest difference in perspective between the clergy that sees behind the scenes and the layman like myself like you. who just go?
2: That's hard. That's a hard question. I don't know. Cause I don't know what you, I don't, I mean, I can ask you what you think. Right. Um,
0: so. Can I jump in and, and help answer this for you? Sure. Yeah. Obviously, You're doing fine. But, but I think my perspective of this, because Lori has been my mentor for the last five years, mm-hmm. Uh, a phrase that she said often to me is work yourself out of a job yeah I think one of the disconnects is the belief that the pastor's job is to necessarily yeah. run all the programs of everything where Lori's stance has always been go work yourself out of a job go give ministry away to people mm-hmm. um so that you don't have a job to do anymore yeah which I love
2: Yeah, and it's true it, it is true because it's we're here to I feel somebody asked me the other day what my image was of my ministry I'm like I think of myself as the sheepdog like I don't think of myself as the Shepherd because that's Jesus and yes we're all the image of Christ not just me but I am like the sheepdog who kind of herds everybody in the same direction and maybe nips at a few heels and 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 tries to keep my eyes on what the Shepherd wants and rides around the ranch every once in a while and does does the average layperson expect that of me? Probably not. I mean, some of them want me to be the shepherd and they want me to like, tell them what to do and some people absolutely do not want me to tell them what to do and some people want me to like do exactly what they say I should do and and they want there are groups of people who think the pastor ought to be at every single thing that happens which which if as a Catholic you should laugh Matt Pally because any Catholic knows the priest can't be everywhere and and some people who who in theory want me to be in those places but if I actually show up they aren't going to act like themselves. So yeah, I give it away and, and try to encourage other people to do what God's calling them to do. And it's hard when you're the mom at home to not be the mom at the church, um, and solve people's problems for them.
3: Before we go into final thoughts, final thoughts. That's, um, (laughs) I have one question. This is for, uh, Ryan and Lori. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll give you a moment to think about this. I'm going to start with Ryan, put you on the spot.
0: I won't convert. I told you. <laughs>
2: I would if you had just let me preach <laughs> and baptize babies.
3: Here's my question, Ryan. I want you to tell me one moment where Lori really shone as your mentor. A moment that stands out to you and said, I'm so proud to have her as a mentor.
0: This is... Well, there's, there is the moment, I think, for me, which was probably... So I was a bartender and had been bartending for seven years and I had done youth ministry a little bit, but then was kind of waffling. And Lori hired me as a part-time youth director and, um, There was one moment in her office when she said, if you're not a pastor of a church in the next 10 years, I'll be pretty surprised. And I walked out pissed. Like I was so (laughs) mad that that she would even say that to me. I don't want your job, I think is what I specifically said. Mm -hmm. But realistically, that was the moment of her saying, you can do this. You are capable of doing this and you should be doing this. And that has been, yeah, she's my mentor and she has been my mentor. And that was the one shining moment of me kind of being told you're good enough and you should be doing this. So that's, that's mine.
2: All those off-the-cuff comments I make to you just gets us—they get us I, in I, so much I know, trouble. It's so much oh trouble. Well, then the
0: follow-up to that is—is uh. is, um, what? What are you looking at? Oh, Wait, tell him he'll be rich. <laughs> tell him he'll be rich. <laughs> uh, hey, you'll all be rich. I, <laughs> how about that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I am soon to be taking a halftime appointment at Brown Street United Methodist Church, which was—it um, felt like there was a little call there that there was something to be explored, and rather than my boss, who knew that would mean losing me from our church halftime. Saying, I think that's stupid. She said, I think you should explore that. And so, yeah, that's kind of two times that she's <laughs> said something that's, yeah. Gone. But later
2: she- I went, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm
0: just kidding. Not really. Not really.
3: Uh, so, Lori, back yeah. to you. What's a moment that you, you've been proud of Ryan and are just saying, wow, he's doing great, great things? Oh, my gosh. One?
2: Oh. Oh. You know, let's see. A recent one. Ryan's really good with people. I, people and I, we have mixed mixed. <laughs> He's so good with people. I, you know, I think this week it was it was summer nightlife when we were outside, and that was his idea. And we were outside. We've done it three years now, I think, and the. Little girls were running around. Little, I think there might—I don't know if there were any little boys. Yeah, there was. Preston. Went, anyway, the little kids were out running around, drawing with chalk, and on the and the band. Brian was in the band. They were up front, um, leading us in worship, and we were singing a song I'd never heard before, and it was a wonderful song. And knowing that he had, he had put it all together. The idea was his. Selling it to the church was his. Getting people involved was his. And really, I mean, I had such a tiny part in it. And it was so good. It was so good. And I just thought that that's just, it's just cool. And I was so proud of him and so proud to be part of it. I don't, not proud of him in a maternal sense, more like I get to be part of this. I get to be part of what this guy is doing. And that's really cool so that was the most recent one thanks well, you're
0: welcome i'm a real affirmation guy
3: so i am it. crying for both of you i am literally tearing up oh. right now that is beautiful so do you want to convert or what? Uh, wow. yeah. <laughs> submit to the pope <laughs>
2: Never. depends on the pope oh, yeah, this one yeah you submit the last to the office, one you know i'm that. not so sure about <laughs> so and then you i don't know like what is twitter doing to the world anyway when the pope tweets <laughs> and donald good. Trump tweets i don't know kind of oh, undermines geez. local anyway sorry <laughs>
0: that was really great
3: Final Final thoughts. Thoughts. Was, that's, that's so funny riddles. you need to delete no that was good that was <laughs> awesome i've been wanting to do that Coming in the that, beginning yeah, was in a yeah. while. So. Way, you, minor, you went for it this time. Yeah, <laughs> You really went for it. You really went
0: for it. Uh, well, so, this is the segment of the show where we all share our final thoughts, and Lori, you'll have um, the opportunity at the end. It'll be the last final thoughts. You can plug whatever you want. What's she knows how it works. Grace, uh, awesome. it's for the listener. Thank oh, you. Okay. Um, what's happening at Grace? Uh, service times, anything that you want to plug? Oh, wow. Yeah, you can do anything. Cool. Um, so, Freak Matt, you want to start? Matt Wallace, would you like to start?
1: Yeah, uh, my final thoughts are a little nebulous. I don't know. I I think it's a real, I don't think we have a great word uh, for the gift of empowering other people in the church. And that's kind of like a, a poverty of our vocabulary that we've had. Like as a gift, as a charism, as a spiritual gift, like what is the word for someone who shines at making other people shine in every context? I mean, through the addicts ministry, through um you know, just empowering people like Ryan and encouraging me to teach and do stuff. Like, I probably wouldn't have done it if Lori wasn't here to say, like, "No, go on for it. You can do this." Sort of a thing. I mean, that's a real gift that a lot of people don't have, and I, I wish we had a better word for it in the church. We're still, I think, coming up with that
3: one. So maybe that's room for future oh, discussion.
2: Yeah. Cool. Thanks,
3: Matt Pally. My final thought is uh, very similar to that, and that it sounds like you're starting close to you. Starting with individuals and letting it grow and mm-hmm. you enjoy that and you accompany people and I think that All pastors of any denomination can learn from your example of doing that. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of my my thought
0: I think something that you put in an interesting way. Oh, do I have to say my name? Yeah. Ryan cate- catechist as well mm-hmm. <laughs> I just made, anyway. I love that word
2: are. catechist Fair enough
0: um, Let the
2: catechumens depart. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Catacombs. Yeah, that's what... Uh, Cataphracts. My final thought is, uh, I guess, identifying your own points of personal privilege and working from there instead of, I suppose, a victim mentality. That was kind of a convicting idea for me. That was interesting. My point of privilege is having Lori as a boss. Aww. (laughs) Aww. I mean that. Cutest podcast we've had yet. It's (laughs)
2: cute. Final thoughts. Well, I'm very excited about what I think the Spirit is doing through grace. Um, Claiming the woods and uh, making it, making the property a place that is um, serene and sanctuary-like in the middle of the city, 10 minutes from everywhere. I think that's really cool. And so um, we have an 815 service that is very small and intimate and outdoors whenever the weather permits. And we have a 915 and a 1045 worship service on Sunday that um, follow a traditional Methodist pattern, but also incorporate all kinds of music from Anglican to whatever else and um, contemporary Christian music to whatever else. And then our Thursday night, A Better Life, Brianna's Hope, um, we have a meal at 6, and um, then at 6.30, we have a meeting that sometimes includes a speaker. And we also, first and third and fifth Thursdays, have a group for friends and family members of addicts that we encourage them to come to the meal, and then they get to go off in their own room with a, an addictions counselor who helps facilitate that. So that's what, I mean, to me, that's good. What we're, What's going on with our daycare? We have an awesome daycare. I just and and Matt Pally has the cutest baby, uh, who, loves me, who loves me. Who loves me? I'm really proud of that too. As we help those kids have a moral compass in this world, no matter where they go or don't go to church. So
0: that's it for another episode of Pith and Piety. Pith and Piety.